a week before Christmas. Are you ready? My whole life, I've heard this my whole life. Can you believe it's already Christmas? And after a while, I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I can. It's only, what, seven days now till Christmas, and I'm ready. But what's the story of Christmas? What, what, what is it to you? For some people, the story of Christmas is basically Santa Claus and reindeer and, you know, Christmas trees, and that's all good. You know, I, I, I don't mind that. When I was a young guy back in the Jesus Freak days, there was sort of an anti-Santa movement among fired up, really, you know, fired up Christians for a while. I remember there was a song out that called, we go, Satan is a lot like Santa Claus. <laughs> he wears a big red suit. And a lot of people wouldn't even tell their kids about Santa Claus because they did not want to lie to them. It's like, well, someday my kids will say, Santa's not real. Well, is, it also, is Jesus not real? Is God not real? Hey, but for me and my house, I like Santa. Um, some people, when they think of Christmas, the story of Christmas, it's like that real Victorian, snowy, maybe British, Charles Dickens, Scrooge kind of setting. You, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that, that's kind of cool, too. Although I did read the other day about Charles Dickens. <laughs> it's cracked me up. did not surprise me that Charles Dickens had quite a few mistresses, but since he lived in Victoria... Victorian England, he had to hide all that. In fact, he turned his wife in and tried to get her put into an insane asylum after she had given him 10 kids. Uh, he didn't quite make that part, but he did marry uh, a, a younger girl. I, he dumped her for a younger woman. So that a little bit tainted my Christmas snowy, cute little village thing. How, how about the great actor Jimmy Stewart and the Frank Capra movie? I think it's Frank Capra, A Wonderful Life. For a lot of people, that's the story of Christmas. I know, I know. He said, hey, pastor, this is church. We got to keep Christ in Christmas. Well, that's the story of Christmas. Critics will say, wait a minute, December 25th, that, that's a pagan holiday. Well, technically it's true. December 25th was a pagan holiday for years because that is around one of the shortest days of the year. And it's symbolic for the rebirth of the sun, the S-U-N, not the S-O-N, son of God. And it, it has definitely pagan origins, but I'm not celebrating the sun God. I'm, I'm celebrating Jesus. And, and in our culture, there kind of can be a, a, a current war on Christmas, as some newscasters used to say. Things have changed a lot. I remember being a little kid and actually, I, this was almost the opposite viewpoint where a lot of Christians want to keep Christ in Christmas on everything. I would hear songs that were very religious at Christmas time, the great Christmas carols, you know, like, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful and Silent Night, you know, very, very spiritual. I was like, why are all these people singing about my Jesus? I used to get kind of jealous over that. Nowadays, people regret the fact that a lot of stores, you can't even say Merry Christmas anymore. You have to say Happy Holidays. If you listen to, to the Christmas music in most stores these days, most of the religious stuff has been taken out. And now it's all, you know, Mariah Carey singing, All I want for Christmas is you. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's whatever. I do think it's a little bit ironic that while we're under pressure to not say much about Jesus ever, even during Christmas. At the same time, at June now, we have to celebrate Pride Month. Something's wrong with you if you don't celebrate Pride Month. So it's interesting, don't say Jesus, even at Christmas, Christmas, you know, on the other hand, anyway, whatever that, whatever that is. Remember the Seinfeld when Kramer did the AIDS walk and was under a lot of pressure? You must wear the ribbon. I, I feel like that sometimes in June. And I don't want you to feel like that at Christmas time. Hey, 
Do you want to sing, all I want for Christmas is you, and throw out Silent Night? Whatever. What is the story of, of Christmas? The, the religious story of Christmas, the manger scenes we can still see to this day, come out of the gospel accounts. If we have Matthew only, that's where we find out about the wise men. Matthew is the only one that tells us about the wise men. Luke is the only one who tells us about uh, Mary's uh, cousin, Elizabeth, who's married to the priest Zacharias, and she has a baby about six months before Jesus is born named, well, he becomes John the Baptist. Luke's the one that tells us about the shepherds and the angelic voices, so they give us this, this, this story that becomes sort of the, the religious story of Christmas, the Bible story of Christmas. But today, I want to read you a few verses on the story behind the story. That sounds like a TV show, doesn't it? The story behind the story. The story that gave rise to Santa Claus eventually. The story that, that gave rise to even the manger in Bethlehem. I want to go and read John. John chapter 1. It's interesting because um, the four gospel writers, only Matthew and Luke give us any details about Christmas. Mark doesn't say anything about Christmas. He jumps right into the Lord's ministry because Mark is written very much to the Roman world. And like a lot of guys today, the Romans liked action flicks. They didn't want to waste time with background details. They just wanted the action to begin. John, which I'm going to read right now, he's the philosopher here. Um, John's passage I'm going to read to you right now, believe it or not, is one of the most challenging and complicated passages in all of the Bible. Uh, it's full of Christological complexities. Um, it's just challenging. So let's read it. John chapter 1. Challenging, but beautiful. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's one of the few verses, by the way, I can remember my Greek, so I'll, I'll, impress, I'll impress myself right now. I think the Greek was something like, Hinarchi, Hinologos, Keologos, Proston, Theon, Ketheon, Hinologos. In the beginning was the word. I see, I know you're not impressed, but I've got to use my education sometime. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 9. He's the true light that gives to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, oh, here's a word right now, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, he gave the, he gave the power to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband or wife's will, but born of God. And then here is John's Christmas story in one verse. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John says, in the beginning was the word. The Greek word there for word is a word you may have heard before. It's, it's just the Greek word logos. There are two main Greek words for word. <laughs> that sounds funny. Huh? Two Greek words for word. One of them is rhema, which tends to be a specific word, a spoken word. Logos is a more general philosophical term. It was a really a philosophical term among the Greeks. So John uses this term to describe who, who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just a little baby born in Bethlehem. He's the Logos. If you think about a word, a word expresses who we are. Uh, if you ever read the Phillips translation of the Bible, he actually puts in John 1, rather than saying in the beginning was the word, he says in the beginning was the expression of God. It's like words express, our, express us. In the beginning was the expression of God, and the expression of God was with God. In fact, that expression of God was God. And when John says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us, interestingly, he uses the word that would have been used for, for like pitching a tent. Or like in the Old Testament, before they built the temple, Moses would set up the tabernacle. And it was just a, you know, I'm sure a pretty nice tent where God's presence was believed to have dwelled. So Jesus is the eternal Logos. And when he becomes flesh, he pitches his tent among us. When all is said and done, Jesus is God's ultimate and final attempt to let us know who he is and what he is like. Let me say that again. Jesus is God's ultimate and final attempt to let us know who he is and what he is like. I like what the writer of Hebrews says. Let me read you from chapter one, the first three verses. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days has spoken to us by his son. And then kind of like John's gospel, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You ever think about it, I mean, back in the Old Testament, here God's trying to communicate his heart, who he is, what he would like to see for his creation. So he speaks to the prophets, and more often than not, the people just kill the prophets, ignore the prophets, you know, stone the prophets. So finally, God says, all right, I'm going to send my own son to become flesh, to become one of them. In John's gospel, let me make a couple points about Jesus then. The story behind the story, the story behind the manger, the story behind the shepherds and the wise men, the story behind Mary and Joseph. John, first of all, says, and listen to this, he says, number one, the Logos, who becomes Jesus, the Logos is eternal. Matthew opens up, the whole New Testament opens up because Matthew's the first verse talking about Jesus' genealogy and he starts with Abraham. He takes Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Father Abraham. Why? Because Matthew was written to the Jews and he's trying to uh, make a connection with them. Abraham is the father of the Jews and letting them know that there is a connection between Jesus and the Jews. So John goes, all right, you took him back. He said, that's true. Luke who's written to all people, he's written to Gentiles, he takes Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam because he's the, so to speak, the father of all of humanity. Matthew to Abraham, Luke to Adam. John goes, you know, guys, that's pretty good, but you haven't gone back far enough because way before Abraham and way before Adam, 
the Logos was here. In fact, if you think about it, in the beginning, the Logos was already here. There is no beginning for the Logos. It reminds me in the book of John when uh, Jesus is in discussion with the religious leaders and they make the bold comment to him, uh, what are you talking about, God, your father? We have Abraham as our father. And then one of the great verses in the entire New Testament, Jesus says, in fact, he thinks he says, first of all, verily, verily, amen, amen. He says, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ooh, let, let that sink in. Before Abraham was, I am. That's not simply Jesus claiming he was alive before Abraham. That's Jesus claiming logos status. Status. That is Jesus claiming uh, divinity, if you will. In fact, the very phrase I am harkens back to the name that God first gave Moses when Moses told God, because God says, Moses, you go lead my people out of bondage. You go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses says, fine, but before I go, tell me your name. <laughs> I need to know who, who, who's sending me. Now, remember back in those days, asking someone's name just wasn't like a point of identification. Moses, in essence, is asking God, what kind of God are you? Are you earth God, sun God? Are you the God of love? What kind of God are you? And God's name is so powerful. He says, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh that Yahweh, or some will say Jehovah, has sent you. And Yahweh or Jehovah simply means I am. You can't limit God. You just go tell him I am. Jesus, going back to Jesus now, John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. Think about what John is saying. Before Muhammad was, Jesus would say, I am. Before Buddha was, I am. Before Confucius was, I am. Before Socrates, I am. Before Plato, I am. Before Aristotle, I am. You can fill in the blank. John says, Jesus is eternal. Not only that, John also points out that Jesus identifies as, I like that phrase, that's a big phrase in our culture today, how people, I self-identify as, Jesus self-identifies as God. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's one of the examples of why this passage is so difficult. Think about it. That blows my mind. My human mind cannot completely comprehend it. I'm going to say that again. My human mind cannot completely comprehend it. It should not surprise us that an infinite God can exist on a level that we can't completely comprehend. We can get ideas here and there. Well, look, let, let, let me explain. How can you be with someone and be that someone? For example, if I said, in the beginning was Jim. Now, I know you don't agree with me, but you could at least understand what I'm saying. You think I'm crazy, lying, whatever, but you would understand me. In the beginning was Jim, and Jim was with Marguerite. All right, it's not true, but whatever. But what? What if I went on to say, and Jim was Marguerite? You'd like, whoa, wait, 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 hold it. You know, let's take this truck back a little bit right now. How can you be with somebody and be that somebody at the same time? 
It has to do with the expression of God. The Logos was the expression of God. And from the very beginning, the expression of God was with God. In fact, the expression of God was God. See, our, while our human minds struggle with that, I got to say, you know, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, Islam, but in the Bible, Jesus is way more than just a prophet. In John's account of Christmas, he points out that he is the Logos of God. He is not simply a representative of God. He is not merely a prophet of God. He is God. Get it right. Jesus would later say in John chapter 14, when, when uh, what was it? Uh, oh, man, I think it's Philip. Uh, gets frustrated, uh, and he says, Jesus, you've been talking about the Father. Can you imagine being with Jesus for three years, and he talks so much about the Father. Even the Lord's Prayer, our Father. You ought to pray like this, who art in heaven. I only do what I see the Father doing. He says, so you, you can almost, let, let me make it more modern language. It's almost like Philip is saying, the Father this, the Father that, Father, 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 Father. Jesus, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. It's like, enough talk, come on, just tell us what this thing's all about. Jesus in John chapter 14, you can almost sense in the words a little bit of disappointment. It's almost like Jesus going, oh man. He says to Phil, he says, have I been with you this long and you still don't get it? John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. We read earlier in John, that, or in the book of Hebrews, actually, that it says, Jesus, the Logos, is the exact representation of God. I, I want someone to know, and I, I know this is going to sound silly to someone, but I think sometimes we get this feeling that, that the Trinity of God, and by the way, I could care less if you use that word. The word Trinity is not a Bible term, and there's different ways, I suppose, of putting things together, but there is clearly Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we get in our minds that, you know, the son Jesus, he's a cool guy, man. We can relate to him. I, mean, I, I like Jesus. Father can be kind of intimidating. Maybe we have that Michelangelo Sistine Chapel ceiling painting image of God where he's kind of an angry old man with a long gray hair and long gray beard. And then no one knows what the heck the Holy Spirit's about. What is this, some kind of religious Casper the Friendly Ghost or something? Father's and Holy Spirit. I want to promise you right now that your father is every bit as loving and every bit as gracious as Jesus is. I say that because I just sense in some believers and certainly among some critics that our image of Father God is he's a little bit angry, judgmental, can't wait to put the hammer down. Uh-uh. He is every bit as loving and gracious and forgiving as Jesus is. Jesus said again, John 14, 9, if you've seen me, Philip, You've seen the Father. The Logos is eternal. The Logos identifies as God. Another thing John points out is that the Logos is the force. John says everything God created was done through the Logos. Think how powerful that word is. <laughs> when God said, let there be light, I heard an old preacher say one time, God said, let there be light, and it beed. That may not be good English, but I think it sure paints, paints a picture. That is so powerful. If some modern science is right, and I, I'm not a scientist, but if the universe is ever expanding, then that would mean that when God spoke however billions or whatever years ago, let there be, it is still being today. That is a powerful, powerful word. John, John goes on to say that the force, the force, since I'm saying the word force right now, got to bring up Star Wars. 
Yes, right. I was alive in 1977 when the first Star Wars came out, before all of you were alive. And uh, at one point you hear this word, trust, trust the force, Luke, trust the force. John says, Jesus is the force. I would argue that Jesus is even better than a force, because a force, if that's all you have is a force, you can experience a force, like you could experience the energy of electricity, the energy of atomic energy, but you wouldn't really have a relationship. Jesus is a force, but he's more than that. He's also a person. But he is the creative force behind all creation. In other words, Jesus is not made, he's the maker. Jesus was not created. In fact, the Bible does not even say he's the first thing God the Father created. It says Jesus was not created, he's not begotten. He's not created, he's creator. And then John says, and without him, nothing. Oh, that, by the way, that's a good phrase right there. Without him, nothing. How to title a sermon on that one day. Without him, nothing. We need him. The Logos is eternal. The Logos identifies as God. The Logos is the force behind our lives, and God can do anything. The Logos is also a gift. John 3.16 would say the most famous verse in the Bible, that God so loved the world that he gave the Logos. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. I'll tell you what, that is one gift in my life I will never even consider re-gifting. But wait, there's even more. Did you know that, I don't have time to teach on all this right now, but you know the Bible says that not only is Jesus God's gift to us, that we are God's gift to Jesus. How's that for Christmas teaching? When we share gifts at Christmas, Jesus is God's gift to us, which is why we celebrate Christmas. Also, we are God's gift to Jesus. Some of the Bible writers like Paul even call us the bride of Christ. We are the gift to Jesus as well. Like any story behind the story, if you're watching a TV show called The Story Behind the Story, at some point they got to create some tension to make you watch the show. And, and John does that a little bit because there's a little bit of, of, a sad, of a sad part to John. Um, the passage that I just read to you, if you look, remember verses 10? He's the Logos, he's eternal. But look at verse 10 again. He was in the world. And through him, the world was made. So Jesus comes into the world, the world he made, but it's kind of sad. World didn't recognize him. World didn't receive him. In fact, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I wonder why that's the case. He came into a world he created to a people that he had called and they just didn't recognize him. There's all kinds of reasons why I, I, I won't take long on this. I, maybe one of them is that he came as a child, which again is the Christmas story. We celebrate a little baby. And while the birth has some miraculous elements to it, I believe Mary really was a virgin. I don't think it was a myth. Um, I believe there was the bright light in the sky. And by the way, the Bible does say bright light. It doesn't have to be technically a star, but, but, but that's a different subject right there. But I can promise you, that, for example, among Israel, they were looking for a Messiah who's gonna be a warrior, who's gonna be a king. Today, we might wanna use the phrase superhero. And in many respects, the first 30 years of the Lord's life is pretty unremarkable. Oh my God, why don't why you just send him? He shows up on the planet as you know, fully grown as an adult and he can get things hopping, man, get things going right away. These 30 years in some ways almost seem wasted. 
some of the uh, what are called apocryphal accounts of the Gospels that we don't include in our Bible, um, they will have a few stories about a little supernatural child Jesus growing up, <laughs> kind of like those. Uh, I remember being a kid reading comic books that would have the young Superman, you know, when Superman was growing up. And one of the stories I can remember, Jesus as a kid would make a little bird out of clay and poof, like magic, make the bird become real and fly away. But in, in the authentic Gospels, we don't have any information of the first 30 years of Jesus other than that incident when at around 12 years of age, he astounds the elders in the temple. And remember, Mary leaves and his dad, Joseph, leave, and they think he's with, anyway, where's Jesus? Back at the temple. Other than that, we don't, we don't even know anything. Um, you know, there's there, there's no sermons, no healings, no no uh, no resurrections, nothing. I think it's interesting to realize that God often likes to manifest His glory, likes to manifest His purpose through really simple, beautiful things. And I got to tell you, they sometimes will say Christmas is for children. I think kids are great. To this day, there's just something, you get old, have grandkids, there's something special about that. If, if you can't somehow see a little bit of a reflection of God when you finally ha have your kids and then grandkids, I'm close enough now, so now I could, if I live long enough, I could start to have some grandkids. That's, uh, anyway, maybe they didn't recognize it because he just came, came as a child. Jesus also had, had some weird preparations. I mean, his key forerunner, who was ordained by God, was John the Baptist, but John the Baptist was weird. John the Baptist was eccentric. He didn't live in the city among the hoi polloi, the big people, the elite, the celebrities, the, the jet set. No, man, John the Baptist lived out in the desert. He ate locusts and wild honey. He just wore animal skins, and he had preached. And John the Baptist showed up. I don't know why this guy got so popular, because when he'd preach, he'd say things like, the crowd would show up and he'd say, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath of God that's coming? <laughs> like saying, you get this big crowd to come and see you go, you snakes, who told you to show up here? And he would say, bear fruit that befits repentance. In other words, he says, I'm not here to put on a show. I'm here to, tell, to try to help you change your life. John the Baptist was kind of strange. And I bring this up because I have to be careful sometimes that I can receive from God through people who are a little bit eccentric to me. Uh, don't be so quick to judge a church. Oh, I, I don't like to go to that church because there's so many single moms there. Where are the dads? Or, hey, that guy went through a divorce. Um, I, think I, I think that guy's been in jail. God loves using different eccentric people to begin to, to reveal his glory. Not all of us have crystal clean records. Not all of us have been vetted and, and we're okay to one, run for public office because we're either clean or they can somehow scrub our history and make us look clean. No, 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 man. God can use us to bring about his purposes. The Logos also, of course, arrived, maybe another reason people didn't receive it, he didn't arrive in a palace. He arrived in a manger. And when we think of a manger, we think of our little Christmas scenes. I know, they're so cute. That's not how it was. Uh, listen, I'm a suburb kid. I guess kind of like being a city kid, but a suburb kid. And my first thought when I go to a barn someplace, which is where Jesus was, was, was born, in a barn, um, my first thought is to go, hmm, it's beginning to smell a lot like Christmas. That's not my first thought. My first thought is, man, something stinks 
in here. I love the fact that when God sent the Logos, the Logos was not intimidated to come into a mess, and Jesus is not intimidated by the mess you may find yourself in right now and is anxious to come into your mess. And I know this sounds trite, I've heard preaching like this my whole life. I go, ah, but it's true. He can make your mess a message because that's the kind of, of, of logos that he is. And, and in closing, I want to remind you that when Jesus came, he came initially and the light arrived in darkness. Think about that. In darkness. It wasn't the big lights of superstardom. He arrives in darkness, a darkness that seems to deny divinity. But John tells us that the light shines in the darkness. You know, if all you had was a match, of course, the match would go out. But if you had a match, the darkest universe in the world, the darkness does not impact that light. It cannot overcome it. It cannot stop it. I'm out of time in preaching right now, but I could also tell you that in John, he writes about the light. It's present tense. Whenever he writes about the darkness, it's past tense. Oh, that'll preach. Let me say that again. The light is present tense. It's here right now. The darkness, it is past tense and it's gone. Let me read to you this in closing. This is from John chapter 3. In fact, everyone knows, in fact, I'll read verse 16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. People make fun of it. Remember the guys at football games just hold up those cards, John 3, 16 and everything. But what a great verse. John says in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The Greek word there, by the way, is monogenes. Break that mono means one, like a monorail has one track. Genes, we get the word genes from that. Jesus is the only genetically connected son of God. I've heard people say, Jesus taught all of us how to discover the divinity that's within us. Okay, but do you mean by that, that I can be the son of God in the same way Jesus is? I can be a son of God, but I am not monogenes. I am not the only genetically connected son of God. I'm not the logos. Anyway, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Everyone knows that verse, has heard of that verse. Very few know the next verse, John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody, to point for everything. He came to save people. John would go on to say in verse 19, he goes, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Wow, that's kind of sad. But I have good news for you. If you'll give Jesus a chance, there is nothing he can't do. There is no sin he can't forgive. There is no problem he can't solve. Your life may feel like it's full of darkness right now. I'm telling you, the light is coming your way. You may feel like your life is so messed up, there is no recovery. Jesus, the Logos, loves to come into a mess and begin to turn things around for you. All you have to do is what John 3.16 says, that God loves you so much, if you'll simply believe in Him and trust in Him and open up the door of your heart, God can and will absolutely change your life.